I'm so impressed by this platform you have offered through your company, the podcast you created. Talk about creativity and innovation. That's exactly what I was thinking about some of the reasons why I love your company. And what you're doing is giving such a 360 view. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the restaurant industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I'm your host, Woolco CEO, Stephen Toberoff. And today is a very special day because not only do I have an amazing guest, But the day that we're recording this is the first day in New Jersey where outdoor dining has reopened. It's a day that everybody's been looking forward to. And I cannot think of a better guest to to have on today. My guest, Michelle Vacari Harriot. She's the executive chef of Horseneck Tavern, which is at 11 Bloomfield Avenue in North Caldwell. And Michelle, I just want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I've really been looking forward to this. So before we get into it, Michelle, just it's such an exciting day and I've been looking at everybody's Instagram and and I've been excited myself. What are your thoughts today now that we all get and certainly you get an opportunity to reopen your amazing restaurant for customers for outdoor seating? You know, what what are your thoughts going into today? Well, a lot of uh, a little nervousness, but a lot of excitement. We are so happy to uh, be able to be back in our restaurant and making it a fun, inviting place for our guests to come back to. We've definitely missed it. It's kind of a historic day and we're excited for what's to come. We're going to take it day by day and just start doing what we love to do again. Awesome. And Michelle, everything about the Horseneck Tavern and for people, they should know that not only are you the executive chef, but I know you've been intimately involved with their marketing and I think your website is gorgeous and I love all of the tie into history. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the culinary space and and became an executive chef? Sure, Steve. Um, You know, it wasn't... um It's been a long journey, certainly. It's one that started before I even had a real job, I guess, coming from a family that was involved in the industry through service. My grandfather was a fruit and vegetable peddler in Newark, the olden days, I guess. So growing up, the buzzwords we hear now, like risotto and giambotta and gnocchi and all that good stuff of Italian comfort food, you know, had the privilege of growing up with. So food and coming together and serving people was kind of always part of me. And for my very first job in a bakery, walking to work 14 years old at 4.30 in the morning to where I am today, it's been a 20-year trip. And in and out of the industry, always, always pushing ahead, always reaching for something new and uh, never giving up. So it's <laughs> awesome. You know, something that I love to find out from people, particularly when I look at your menu, which I love because it's got a level of creativity to it, but it's got so many items on it that are just standards of what people would want to see in, in a tavern. And I almost think that requires even more courage because you want to use traditional foods that are, you know, as I say, standards for a tavern, but you put your own spin on it. From your earliest days falling in love with this space and and just as a child, are there some sort of core 
dishes, core foods, or just just something elemental about the food experience that you find you still carry over with you today as the executive chef? Absolutely. So much of my foodie love is influenced from my childhood and, you know, the warm memories of sharing a noisy, large table with many family members that I was fortunate to have growing up. Definitely anchors in my culinary repertoire would be dishes, humble dishes that I grew up with that my parents or grandparents, you know, may have consistently put out for us. Dishes like vegetable jambat a simple stew of veggies in a light tomato broth and vegetables that were often left over and just a lot of kitchen sink cooking and creativity comes from that. And that's kind of how I was influenced with my cooking very much like, you know, what do we open the cupboard and what do we have? (laughs) A a favorite saying of my grandmother's uh, of mine, and my mom used to always say it too, whenever any of us would ask them what was for dinner because usually somebody was always cooking you know after my grandfather came home from a 12-hour day of working the truck grandma what's for dinner and she'd say grazie di and in the broken italian dialect loosely translated it means whatever god brings to the table you know pretty much yes and you know that rings true like it's so funny kids we would always yes what's for dinner what's for dinner it wasn't like oh what would you like it was always whatever, grazie di, and what we had, that's what we shared, and we always made the best of it. And we didn't always have, like, uh, prime cuts of the best steaks or whatever, but, geez, I grew up having short ribs and braised meats and chicken cacciatore, hunter stew style, which, yeah, which is traditionally, like, a, not a tomato sauce, and that cacciatore is, like, hunter stew, and that's whatever the, the hunters brought home. And so my grandmothers were raised in Italy and came here at young ages, so they were very much, they were living that life of what we were blessed with. That's, we made the best of it. And from homemade gnocchi to, uh, you know, focaccia, but staple dishes would have to be the traditional pasta, tagliatelle, bolognese on the Northern side, or, you know, always the ziti with uh, a nice basil marinara on my grandmother's side with Sunday gravy. We always had chicken cutlets on Sundays and a salad, you know, <laughs> what people don't eat like that today. No, they don't. And I, but I could tell you something you said I relate to so much, Michelle, because I remember as a kid growing up, uh, it's exactly what you said. It was never my mother saying to me, what would you like? It was, I remember like some of her staples. One day a week for sure I was going to get skirt steak. Another day was going to be tuna fish casserole. And, you know, it, 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 you bring back a really nice memory because it, it, was, it was very different than what it is now. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. That's a, that's a special thing. I have a lot of hidden gems that are kind of silently dedicated to my mom or my grandmother's on the menu. I guess not so silently. One of the new appetizer on our summer menu is mom's polenta. And my mother would always make a polenta and then layer it often like a lasagna. So there would be a little Sunday gravy sauce in there, a little fresh regat and, you know, some fresh parm and another layer of polenta. And so we're going to be doing that at the restaurant. going to be serving meatballs, Sunday gravy on top of a grilled square polenta with some fresh ricotta cheese and yeah, some grana. 
And just, uh, hey, this menu, when I came to the Horse Neck Tavern in December, I wanted to make, of course, a new menu. It had to be something that made sense and was united. I wanted to do present like an Italian soul food soul food menu. It definitely had its hits. You know, that's a lot like what you were looking at on the website last week. We, you know, the brick chicken, uh, my short ribs, which are just like classic. You got to have a great short rib dish, which will still be on this new summer menu. But I've made the summer menu a little more global, a little more inclusive for everybody. Something, you know, pretty much like what you'd want to eat outside. So still with like the Italian soul food in mind, but I grew up in Newark also, so a melting pot. And I just can't deny the delicious global flavors that I grew up with. So you'll see a lot of that influence on my menu also. That's such a powerful message, which I hope that the listeners are really taking advantage of, because one of the things that that you're doing, which is so uh, admirable and is so much more difficult than it might appear, is on the one hand, and you're obviously staying true to the history of Horse Nick Tavern. You're staying true, and I say with your menu offerings, of what people would expect when they go to a tavern with macaroni and cheese and, and other traditional items. But what you're doing, and you're doing it magnificently, is you're layering onto that a whole host of offerings, which will not only appeal to people who want things that may not be traditional tavern food, but you're really tying into the zeitgeist of this moment because, you know, obviously the past several months we've been through in New Jersey and elsewhere, it's been very challenging. And people are looking for comfort, they're looking for connection, they're looking for identification. And you really seem to be paying attention to that and addressing that in, in the way you're, you're, you're presenting your menu uh, at this moment in time, which I think is so admirable and so difficult to do. Thank you. I mean, I think it's all about, like you said, comfort. And I think people, whoever's coming out now, they're excited and they just want to come out and enjoy a good time. And in the beginning, when I took on the restaurant, I was scared, not scared, but I was turned off. They were such a large menu. So I really wanted to pare it down and, and, and have it make sense and look good on one piece of paper. And we did that. But now we're in a time where, hey, cost control and inventory are like the top priorities, <laughs> right? I never experienced, fortunately for me in my life, I never had to experience anything like I did on March 14th, which was you know, before, which was horrible. It was like, you know, completely shutting down the place in a matter of hours. I had just gotten like two deliveries the day before. I was in the process of adding four new dishes to the spring menu and bringing on more after that. It was difficult to figure out what to do with all the fresh produce right away and try to make whatever could last. Really, it's like, I don't want to say we're, you hear the depression kids, you know, the way people hold on to so much coming out of that time, you really have to be cognizant of, although I'm not the owner of the restaurant, you know, just the chef, but it's still, it's like part of me. It's such an important point you're making. And I think it's something that really is worth discussing because the challenges that executive chefs and mixologists and everyone in this space are facing is on the one hand, everyone is super excited to get back out there and re-engage with their guests. But this is a business. And when you're limited to just outdoor dining, and then God willing, we'll get to a percentage of indoor soon enough. There's another challenge that's in front of everybody, which is how to manage procurement, 
how to manage costs while giving the customers a great experience. I, I will tell you this, I've been doing this since 1999. This is easily the most challenging environment I've ever seen for, for restaurants and, and others within the, the food service space to operate in. And you're touching on some of the major challenges in, in what you said. To bring it back to the kitchen sink mentality of cooking, like this is my time, <laughs> like, you know, because I'm not just going out and yes, I'm buying all fresh produce and proteins and stuff and the seafood, I get fresh seafood every day for the menu. But there's a lot of pantry dry stuff that I'm just trying to utilize in my dishes. I had a case of peanuts. So, hey, horse neck pie is on the menu. It's a delicious peanut butter mousse, malted whipped cream, salted caramel, peanut, chocolate ganache, Oreo cookie crust pie. So I think it's really cool. And it's something I can relate to because I remember back in March myself, early April, there have been times when I'm at home and I'm looking in my pantry and I'm like, I'm hungry and I'll see something I hadn't seen before and I'll make it just because it's there. Hey, look, it's been challenging times for sure, but I think it's also a time that's changed people's perspective and I don't want to be Pollyanna about it, but I think whenever people's perspectives change, it presents new opportunities to look at and appreciate life. And I really believe that that dynamic is going to be played out in a big way in the food service space. I think so. I hope for the positive. And I think for the positive, I think it's grounded people. It's brought us back to basics. You know, you'll see it as we are more and more out there now, all the add-ons that we had every day, you'll be seeing back in your life. I mean, things were simple a month ago and it shouldn't be, you know, it should be simple. And so we're trying to do that and move forward with everything at our restaurant. We're implementing online ordering, hands-free menus. Soon you'll be able to pre-order through our website and, you know, just uh, make it as inviting. We're going to be experiencing people at all different comfort levels. And it's important for us to remain vigilant because it's for our defense and for everyone, every future person that comes in there. So yeah, trying to stay on top of that to keep moving forward. And, you know, hopefully people will come out when they're ready and I'll be ready for them with a very large menu now. <laughs> so. That's a great point. And I, I definitely feel everything you said is so uh, on point because it's true, there's going to be a number of changes or modifications that are going to be put into place to accommodate the environment that we're in. But I think that there's absolutely an elemental desire for people to reconnect. And food is really something rather, you know, sort of intimate, and it's a great way for people to connect. And I think it will be an evolution. But I think that you're right. There's going to be a new perspective, but I think that that perspective hopefully will bring with it some lasting changes that are positive. And um, I'm really enjoying your insights on cuisine because you're, you're really somebody that's dialed into this on so many levels. Question I have, as an executive chef, how do you approach the preparation of, for example, macaroni and cheese, fried chicken? These are traditional tavern foods. As the executive chef, what is your approach in terms of, on the one hand, wanting to put forth the, the absolute best meal that you can, staying true to the tradition, but at the same time, do you feel any desire or pressure to do anything unique so that it's kind of your signature? And how do you balance that, if that makes sense? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, I don't feel any pressure to put my signature on things because when I do present it, it automatic that's built in. So I don't I I love interpreting classics for people and it's interpreting, I mean what a word. I love mac and cheese. 
hey, I have two small boys. I am the best short order cook <laughs> they could have ever asked for. I mean, this is what I prepared myself for motherhood. It's constantly, can I have this? Can I have this? It never stops. So um, anything from grilled cheese to cheesy lobster stuff, wontons, crab stuff, jalapenos wrapped in bacon, our mac and cheese. I've been experimenting with the fresh pasta, uh, like a little cavatappi, and to the traditional large elbows. I'm not convinced on what I'm sticking with. But one thing that has stayed true with my mac and cheese, and especially at Horseneck Tavern, is we load it with delicious chunks of butter poached lobster. So that's really been a big hit. And it's you know, now it's on the entree menu. But yeah, I love mac and cheese. Like it's got to be creamy. It's got to be cheesy. It's got to be just like one bite and can't break or anything. So yeah, I'm all over the comfort foods for sure. As far as prep, everything is fresh in my kitchen. We do not prepare like banquet style or anything. The pasta is par cooked and then it's at, to order, you know, it's in a pan with the sauce and the lobster's poaching in butter. It's added. It goes under the broiler with a little crispy breadcrumb. The fried chicken I make, it's actually gluten-free. I use rice flour and it's crispy. And, you know, we add our secret seasonings. I haven't counted how many. I don't think as many as the kernel, but <laughs> um, it's packed with flavor and dipped in buttermilk and the rice flour. And the same thing, like everything from even simple things like chicken tenders on a menu. I buy fresh organic breasts. We cut our own tenders and we make our own breadcrumbs. So I try to do as much as we can. That makes sense for what we're doing. It's not easy and it takes a team that's on board with the same philosophy. Another part, and that's something I'm fortunate at this point right now today is to have three people in my kitchen well, actually, I've been with one person for a month, but now since we're expanding, I'm bringing back some people I had. And I'm very fortunate to be with these people that share the same excitement and enthusiasm as I do and are want to be there. And it, I think it's going to be great. We have a beautiful outdoor terrace and dining area. We're fortunate to have that. And we have great food. And we have a great front of the house staff also that's been working so hard. They've probably... <laughs> been working since my manager, Trevor Hume, has been working since we went in quarantine from home or whatever. So we'll be ready tomorrow. So exciting. And what I would say also, and I, I really hope that the chefs and aspiring chefs that are listening are really dialed into what you're saying, because in every aspect of your menu, what I'm hearing is you're focusing on not just quality, but going the extra mile. And I think it's an important message to get out there, which is whatever you do, and you mentioned the front of the house, and we've talked about that in earlier episodes, how important it is, the decisions you're making, just the very basic fundamental decisions of, hey, we stand for quality, everything we do is going to be fresh, everything we do is going to be a reflection of the highest quality, the freshest, whatever. That's something chefs really need to focus in on as you're coming up in the game, because there's all kinds of easy things to do or that seem easy or shortcuts or things that people might do to enhance margins. But at the end of the day, there is absolutely no substitute for quality when you're looking to build a brand that has longevity. Absolutely. Nothing can replace your house-made touch compared to just buying something pre-made, which has its place. But especially in this cost-conscious time right now, reutilization throughout my menu is very important. And I think a lot of times buying 
ingredients and items in their natural raw state, I mean, that's where you're going to find the value. And that's your opportunity to be creative and to interpret that. No question. And, you know, so something I discussed in an earlier episode with a, with another great restaurant in New Jersey, Hearth and Tap, is that there's been a dynamic. Oh, I loved listening to that that podcast. It was great. He's totally somebody I resonated with and I can't oh, wait to thank visit you. there sometime. Thank you very much. Paul's a terrific guy. And what I discussed with him in that episode is a trend that I identified back then. And I think it's something that's going to continue and, and get even more pronounced, which is more and more people from New York, you know, it used to be you go back 10, 15 years, whatever time frame you want, people from New Jersey would drive into New York because they wanted a special dining experience. I've noticed in a big way over the past, let's call it few years, that people from New York are making the opposite trip to New Jersey because the cuisine in New Jersey and the dining experience in New Jersey is so awesome that there's something special there that they're not getting in New York. And I think that's a trend that's going to continue. And so you're describing, you know, so many aspects of the experience that you're describing at Horseneck Tavern, the, out, the, the beautiful outside patio dining, the nature of your menu, the historical significance of the tavern. These are the exact types of things that are going to incentivize somebody who's in New York City that says, you know what, I want to take a trip. You know, whether it's this week and a month and six months, doesn't matter. Let's take a drive and go out there. I'm wondering if A, that's something that you're seeing, or B, if you agree with me, like that, that, that there's something about New Jersey restaurants, you know, the, the, the quality great ones, like such as yourself, that are going to really start motivating people from New York and Connecticut to come to Jersey. All I have to say, Steve, is forget about it. All right. You got to come to Jersey. <laughs> of course, they want to come to Jersey. And especially after this uncertain time that we all went through, you're going to see it more. You're going to see people heading for the hills, I think. But I, I agree with you. And I, I would just say from a commercial standpoint, you know, we're located in Jersey City. It's a great place. But I, I have to say that I've never been more proud to be a part of the Jersey City, let's call it hospitality community. Because so many towns are just shutting down parts of Main Street. The mayors of Jersey City, uh, Steve Fulop, who's phenomenal, and other people, they're really getting behind the restaurants in a big way. And I, I really believe that coming out of this, I think that the trend was moving in that direction, but I think New Jersey restaurants are going to be getting demand from a multitude of sources. And I, was, I do. I think it's giving also uh, yeah. human quality of life some more respect. I mean, why shouldn't these crowded urban areas have an opportunity to open up their doors and clear it out a little. I mean, I think that's great that they had the opportunity to do that in Jersey City. I mean, like you said, I'm from Newark. Um, it has a great foodie scene, many places across the city, not just in the Ironbound, but Jersey has such classic places that have withstood the test of time. I mean, Belmont Tavern, Krug's, Arthur's. Uh, and oh my God, they're just realizing they're all taverns. But I mean, not that I meant to do that, but these are places, you know, that I've known, Rutt's Hut, like since childhood, they're classic places uh, that should be every, on every foodie's list. And being in Jersey, we're not just North, but it spreads out. We are a melting pot being in this tri-state area. It's full of flavor. And you know what? <laughs> this business is like, I give anybody credit that could withstand a decent amount of time and you just don't know. No, I have so much respect. I've been so proud to be a part of this industry because, you know, I look on my Instagram pages and the people I'm connecting with. And one of the things that has occurred with me over the last three months or so that I'm very grateful for 
is I'm connecting with people in this industry, customers and and non-customers in a way that I never did before. And I'm getting so much out of it. I'm learning so much. And what I'm coming away with is such, as I say, I'm very proud to be a part of this uh, industry because there's so much resiliency and optimism and creativity and community. You know, I had the pleasure at the early stages of this to partner up with Orale, a great Mexican spot, and providing meals for people in this space and, and first responders. There's been so many wonderful things that people have done in this space that I, I, I almost want to say, you know, like this has almost been the finest hour of the hospitality space because I've seen so much, as I say, resiliency, compassion, decency sensitivity that it's it's just unbelievable. I think we've been through the fire and being in this business was always so hard to begin with. Whether you were a young cook coming up through the kitchen or uh, a server, it's very off the cuff. You There's a lot to deal with every day that someone going to a regular office job wouldn't have to. But one thing I wanted to say to you, Steve, is that I was, I'm so impressed by this platform you've offered through your company, the podcast you created. Talk about creativity and innovation. That's exactly what I was thinking about some of the reasons why I love your company. And what you're doing is giving such a 360 viewpoint to our work. Like you're not just... I'm getting goosebumps talking about like, you're not just selling me product that I need. I'm finding that you guys actually care. So the fact that you're keeping your... And that's what I'm saying too, as a chef, we have to be innovative. You have to be creative. You have to always keep learning and and giving people what they want and not change your identity. You know, remain true to yourself, but you have to, you know, change with the times and judge it up a little, you know, once in a while. So I was very impressed by this all around approach you take to a business that could be just like, you know, very, you could be one, one view with of course, you know, blinders on like, or- I really appreciate that, Michelle. And I say, thank you. And it's, it's funny because, you know, just to give you a little bit about my background in, in the episode that, that aired right before our episode was an interview as uh, I hope people have listened to with Ron Ben Israel. And um, my background is, I mean, my father, you know, he, before my parents got divorced, he had a, um, a number of successful uh, ice cream stores. And he left that and he started over and he was essentially began a whole new career. And it started by delivering eggs from upstate New York into New York City. And he built it from there. And what I remember, because I spent a lot of time with my dad, was just the connections that he had with the chefs. I remember being in the back of the house and he would sit and talk to different chefs about anything for hours. And the truth of the matter is like, I like to eat as much as anybody else. I'm not a foodie. What I love about this business and what I what I feel so privileged to be a part of it is I love the people. I love problem solving. I love being of service. And I really appreciate what you said, Michelle. And like from my vantage point, the reason I did this podcast was there's a lot of content out there for people who are foodies that want great recipes and, and just love the whole aspect of cooking and eating. And that's a such an important part of what we do. But I wanted to create something that would give people like yourself and others an opportunity to talk about the entire process because so much goes into being a successful restaurant or bar or chef or hotel. And I didn't really feel like that was getting enough content. And, you know, I I always say, and it's the truth, I mean, I view this because we've been in business since 89 and I've been doing this since 99. I view this as a friend to friend type thing. And it's the personal relationships because it's really just about service and being a value and being a helping hand. And, And I really appreciate what you had to say. And that's what I love about what I do. 
you know, I love solving problems or I love helping come up with solutions and, and having people run their business and knowing that we played a small part of it and the human connection. And that's why I've been so humbled by these past three months because, you know, what I've seen people do in the coming together and just the optimism and resiliency. I keep I keep going back to optimism because everybody I speak to, like you, everybody, no one is is sitting around bitter or bemoaning. And there was a lot of hits that we took and, and a lot of things happened that people felt were not fair or not necessary, but everybody's been just optimistic, resilient, community oriented. It's really a great industry to be a part of. I really believe that. It's so important to come out on top like that because it's so easy to sink into a hole for any other reason, not just being in the restaurant business during COVID. And yeah, optimism, resiliency. I mean, those are all, those all ring so loud and true with me and my personal journey. You know, I'm a BRCA survivor going through that whole experience of being proactive with my health and having to do that. And in the midst of having small children and working wanting to stay in a re- in the restaurant industry. Yeah, you know, never give up being a woman in this in industry. <laughs> never give up. Although, you know, I have to say the kitchen's a little different these days and for the better, rightly so. But if you truly love something, no matter what someone else who you think knows tells you a negative. You know, I could have given up 20 years ago when I was a waitress and I told the chef I worked at the restaurant I wanted to go to culinary school. And he said, you can't do that. You can't carry a 50-pound box of potatoes. Uh, Hey, I'm still carrying my uh, nine-year-old 80-pound son around. So I can still throw him over my shoulders. (laughs) It's like, I think that's what... And, you know, come on, let's face it, Jersey girl, we're a little stubborn here. (laughs) Giving up is not in my vocabulary. (laughs) No, that's great. And you make a great point because the truth is, is this was not... And I've been in this business long enough and I remember and I've spoken to so many people, you know, this was an industry that was not the easiest industry for women when you go back 20, 30 years. And I think that it's getting much better. And there are so many phenomenal women chefs and mixologists and and just participants throughout this entire industry. And to see, you know, for example, I mean, and I think you would even relate, you know, you go back 20, 30 years, if you were to talk about taverns and bars, you wouldn't really see that many women chefs. And now to have somebody such as yourself with your creativity, your background, putting out these phenomenal menus and it being something that is so much more commonplace, it's such an added benefit and strength to the industry. And I I give you so much credit for your persistence because um, without persistence, there's nothing. And I I can totally relate to what you're saying. And it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, thank you for those nice words also it's just been you don't realize it till you sit back and you, you look at the whole picture i guess sometimes it just looks like a lot of low points but there have been many high points that have been exciting through this whole journey you know it's what you definitely make of it and you just have to put yourself in the best uh position as possible opportunity as possible that you can get your hands on come across and you know you have to start you really start from somewhere the bottom and work your way up it's been nothing replaces hard work and time and um just thinking about uh you know female chefs influences i mean come on i grew up with julia childs watching her and and all the best cooks i knew were women and um you know when you talk about like these taverns yeah the old days what kind of I always had a dream about was like being the little lady 
uh, you know, in, in the smock behind the counter stirring the sauce, you know, uh, there used to be a great, great place in the Ironbound called Amalia's. I don't think it's there anymore, but it was just that it was a little lady and her son ran the counter and every day, you know, this is what I tell people. I just want a chalkboard and I want to put my specials on it every day. And and, and that's a graduate day for me someday. That's what I'll do. Um, but you know, it's it, the simplicity. Like, why do these, why do these big guys go back to these, you know, hole in the wall spaces, places year after year, you know, for that great sandwich or that, you know, that soup or that, that dish of macaroni. I mean, yeah, women have been running taverns, you know, since they began. No question. And the other thing is, is like chefs are really, it's a form of artistry. And that's what makes this, that's another thing that I love about this. And I love about talking to you because there's so many things that go into the restaurant business to be successful or the hospitality, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, this is a form of artistry. And kind of like what you were saying, you know, people that are artists, they love what they do, like, you know, keeping it Jersey. Springsteen would give you the same energy if he was performing in, a, in an Asbury Park club with 20 people as he would give you in the Meadowlands. And I find that with the great chefs too. The great chefs can dial in and put forth an absolutely magnificent meal, whether it's for themselves and their kids or whatever, and then they do it in the restaurant. And that's something I love about it. And I love your thoughts about hard work and starting from the bottom, because I think a lot of people look at this industry from afar and they think, wow, it's really romantic and I'll own my own spot and it'll be cool and I'll come and I'll hang out by the bar. I'll be the chef and I'll be telling everybody what to do. But the reality is, is it's a day-to-day expenditure of maximum effort and trial and error and grinding. And if you don't love it at the core, it's very hard to succeed. Where you get the few moments to get out to the front and and talk to some happy customers or at the end of the night, there's plenty of uh, taking out garbage, cleaning bathrooms, uh, you know, cleaning the walk-in floor. I pick up garbage in the parking lot every day if I see it, you know, <laughs> a napkin. My mother always said, if if you don't do it, nobody else will. And I just kind of, you know, walk through the restaurant every day and night. Not that no one else does anything, but that's the mentality. You just have to be ready, willing, and able. And just also heading back to being a woman in this industry, coming up through a time where it was kind of harsh, a scene in the kitchen or whatever, Being a having empathy <laughs> as a, a cook or someone in the kitchen, people don't always understand you. It's not always that kind of maybe my niceness was misinterpreted sometimes and being in the kitchen had to be hard. And so that was a difficult like growing experience for me, kind of staying true to myself, but trying to get through this work environment to get to the other side to see the big picture. The big picture is we're still riding it, you know, <laughs> head stuff isn't everything. It's, this is the stop in my journey now. And, and I have to just continue to make great things for the people I work with and make it an enjoyable experience. It's all about that and having fun. So. I mean, I got to tell you, Michelle, first of all, I want to thank you. I know you're super busy, but it really means a lot to me that you took the time oh, out. Oh, is it opening day today? I got to get back to press. I really appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to speak with me. And I, I would say this, if you want to, again, the website is www.thehorsenecktavern.com. And I have to say something. It's one of the best websites that I've seen for oh, a restaurant. <laughs> no, no. And, and I want to say something. Michelle designed the website. And so I'm just so impressed because I know for a fact that I have so many restaurants and restaurant groups that I deal with that have marketing agencies and digital marketing people that do their website. And it's an entire department. 
and the website you put together and the way you've tied it in. I don't want to ruin it for people. I, I, I want everybody to go and check it out because it, as soon as as soon as I looked at it, I was like, wow, I am totally engaged because I'm a history buff. Well, you love history. And yeah, I was I telling it. you about the little story. But some people love like maps. That. You know, there's, so, there's a whole world of people out there that are totally obsessed with maps. So you did an absolutely unbelievable. Well, then you would love seeing our restaurant also. We have a lot of that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. And I would say you just did an absolutely unbelievable job. So it's the www.thehorsenecktavern.com. And if you want to follow them on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, it's at the Horseneck Tavern. And um, this was really special, Michelle. I, I really enjoyed this. And I just want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with me. I really, really enjoyed this. And I wish you a great opening, reopening, and just continued success at the Horseneck Tavern and all the great stuff that you're doing. Thank you so much, Steve. I will always remember this. This was a great experience. And I wish you also all the luck in the world with your podcast. I think it's a great tool and resource for people. And it's really enjoyable. I think anybody that listens will enjoy what you're sharing. Well, I'm, I'm happy because we get a lot of listeners from a variety of, of sort of interest groups. You know, we have a lot of hardcore listeners that are already in the space that like to hear what others are doing. We have people who listen, who aspire to be in the space. But we're now getting listeners who just love the conversation, either from an entrepreneurial standpoint or just from a lifestyle standpoint. And I think when I have a chance to um, to speak with guests such as yourself and, and, and sort of dive deep into a bunch of issues, I think it's a value for anybody. So, Michelle, have an awesome, awesome day. And I really look forward to seeing you soon. Can't wait to cook for you, Steve. Thank you so much. Thanks, Michelle. Well, that was a great interview, and I want to thank Michelle Vacari Harriot for taking the time to speak with me. So many wonderful insights and, and really a philosophy that I would strongly encourage any of our listeners out there that are aspiring chefs or anyone that really wants to get involved in this space. Uh, Michelle's approach is the approach that is really required to be successful in the uh, long term. She just broke it down so uh, so beautifully, and I, I got a lot to think about and enjoy from that interview, and I'm sure you did as well. The book that I want to recommend this week is really a book that um, you know I was thinking about, and I think that, again, we're at a moment in time where things are shifting, and I want to stick with fiction, and I want to give people something to think about and something to enjoy and something to reflect upon. And the book that I'm going to recommend is The Collected Short Stories of Joyce Carol Oates. Joyce Carol Oates is one of the most prolific authors of American letters, and uh, she's written some unbelievable novels, but her short stories are incredible. And the one that I really recommend is one that we've all potentially read in high school. I know I did called Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been? But I reread that story about maybe two months ago, and it really sticks with you. So again, it doesn't have to be the collected stories of Joyce Carol Oates, but any collection of stories that has Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been in it? Uh, she's a phenomenal writer and uh, well worth reading. And certainly that story in particular is something that that's stuck with me and uh, I hope you enjoy it. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to reach out to me, please email me at steven at woolcofoods.com or you can DM me on Instagram at woolcofoods. For those of you that are in New Jersey, best of luck with your reopening. And um, again, everybody have an awesome, awesome day and I look forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 
And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net. <laughs>